Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday, December the 26th, 2023. Happy Christmas, everyone. Five days till the end of the year, and of course, the media is full of both analysis of 2023 and attempts to look forward. One interesting set of predictions is by Alex Kantrowitz, the technology maven on uh, uh, on Substack. And of course, anything about technology, imagining both 2023 and 2024, focuses on AI and generative AI. My guest today, uh, Kevin Sorace. Uh, has been in the AI business since the mid-90s. So he's seen a lot of cycles of boom and bust. Uh, and I'm thrilled that uh, he's joining us on the show. Kevin, do you think from a technological point of view, you're an entrepreneur, a futurist, keynote speaker, you travel around the world, you're talking to me now from upstate New York, you divide your time between uh, the Northeast, upstate New York and the Bay Area. Do you think 2023 in tech terms has been really all about AI when technology historians look back? Will 2023 appear just as the year where AI finally became real? Look, I, I, I think that it will mark a time when almost everyone can finally interact with AI by themselves, right? It's not that we haven't had AI or that we haven't been interacting with it, but it used to be only programmers that could do so. And all of a sudden... Here we are, and anyone can walk up to the darn thing, chat GPT or BARD or whatever, and talk to it. And that is what people have been dreaming of, right? Can I just talk to this computer? Now, the truth is we've been doing that on and off for, for even since the 60s, since MIT with Eliza, right? So we've had these experimental things. But finally, we've got a language model. Our language, not C, not Java, not Python, our language. So it will go down as the year that everyone woke up to a language model that seems artificially intelligent to them that can actually answer actual questions. So it's it's amazing to see the look on people's faces uh, uh, as they interact with these things. As I said earlier, Kevin, you've been in the AI space for a while since the mid-90s. Your career as an entrepreneur and investor has been built around AI. What happened in 2023? Because generative AI has been around for a while, of course, the original white papers were written within Google. The company that mm -hmm. seems to be pioneering, though, generative AI is um, uh, OpenAI. Mm -hmm. Why is it 2023 where all this suddenly exploded? So, so it is. It is true. We've 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 had generative AI models since 2017, and arguably the first ones were uh, the transformers, is what they're called, uh, uh, and translators, and and they were translating from. English to French at first, entire phrases. That's what the paper at Google was really about. Can I translate an entire phrase? And uh, it turns out that then people said, well, if I just learned more, I could do more than translate a phrase. I could actually start to answer questions. I could kind of prompt it and say, give me your answer in, you know, within the range of answers for this. And, and, and again, that was a, a surprise to those of us not in, in, in the field I had used, uh, earlier versions of GPT long before GPT-4 and before 3.5. So I was interacting with it at some level. The models were much smaller. They weren't as good, but we were getting some interesting answers back. And finally at GPT-4, it was pretty mind-blowing where you now have a model that can take tests 
most tests uh, above human competence levels, uh, you know, including pass the bar, which is a little scary, right? Um, but it isn't scary. You know, we, we, we trained it on a trillion phrases, give or take. And if you train anything on a trillion phrases and it could remember them all, it's probably going to do pretty well. Uh, so, so, so 2023 is the year that will go down that the, the public finally became aware of it, really end of 2022, right? November, December 2022. Finally, everyone touched it. Most people have not gotten much out of it other than, oh, that's interesting. I played with it. But if they stop playing with it and say, how does this change my life? It is a game changer, just as if Excel was a game changer in 1980, late 80s, right? And it was a game changer if you were in finance. So in language, which we all speak, no question, GPT-4, uh, BARD, and, and others are game changers for us, for everybody, the public, uh, everyone in every work environment, every entrepreneur, everyone. Kevin, many people believe that this is as big a deal, a bigger change, as dramatic a transformation as the internet itself. When we think of the internet, we often think of Tim Berners-Lee, of course, who invented uh, the browser. Um, uh, we don't tend, though, to associate what you call transformers or generative AI with a single individual. Some people uh, talk, of course, of Sam Altman, the entrepreneur who pioneered uh, generative AI within OpenAI. Are there individuals you think who, who we should remember in terms of inventing and developing the idea of the transformer? You know, here's the, uh, yes, there are, uh, if you go back to the original Google uh, uh, paper from uh, 2017, uh, it was a, a stroke of genius to say, why don't we translate phrases instead of words? Now, it turns out that stroke of, all these strokes of geniuses actually in AI happen when the compute horsepower becomes available to allow them to happen. It's not that no one ever wanted to translate entire phrases before. We wanted to translate entire phrases 20 years before that, even when at the beginning of the internet, could we translate an entire phrase? The reason I say phrase is, as, as most people watching or listening know, if you speak another language other than English, if you're taking word from word from word, 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 word in English and translating it word for word into French, you have a mangled sentence. Now, you know, someone who speaks French can figure out what you meant, but it's pretty mangled. It was obviously a bad translational program did that. And that's what we have lived with for a long time. I'll just translate a word at a time because a phrase combinatorially is a, is a huge problem, maybe a million times harder. And what we see is these AI advances tend to follow compute horsepower advances. So you know, when, once we had the cloud, we could do more in AI than we ever did before because I can rent space for the hours or days that I need it. I don't have to uh, uh, build my own uh, op center. And then by 2017, we actually had the compute horsepower to say, I think I can translate phrases and I can do them pretty much in real time. So, so along with that horsepower came the math to do it. Um, the math could have come 20 years earlier, but to translate a phrase would have taken, you know, three days. So it's not, it's not useful technology, right? So we find this all the way through history since really the 50s, is that the algorithms follow uh, the horsepower. And when the horsepower is there, then people go, I think I can do this now in pretty close to real time. That makes it useful. You talked about um, generative AI and particularly uh, chat GPT, chat GPT for being trained on a trillion phrases. 
Those trillion phrases are, as you know, controversial. Some people argue, and we've had many people on the show suggesting that they haven't, they've been, so to speak, borrowed. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, that's a euphemism, of course. Some people believe they've simply been stolen. That many of the, much of the content we've put on the internet, from social media to Wikipedia, has been appropriated to be trained, to be used as the, the training wheels for this chat GPT. Is there any truth to that in your view? Well, I think there's everyone has their own truth. That's probably the best way to say it. Uh, yeah, but some truths are more real, Kevin, than others. That's right. That's right. Uh, here's what I would say. Look, every book in the library is there for humans to learn from. We learn. We w- In fact, if you were to write a novel about, I, I, don't, I don't know, about ghosts in a tavern, let's say, you might choose to go and read many, many, many novels about ghosts. Many novels about taverns, maybe some novels about ghosts in taverns. You would take all that information in over many years and formulate your own brand new story from that. Not a derivative work, but your new story, right? And you did that from learning it. In fact, you could never write a novel had you never read a novel. That'd be be impossible, right? Just like you could never do math had you not read an entire textbook, say, on calculus, and then you go do differential equations or calculus or whatever it is, right? You did that because you learned from other people's work. So one view of AI is it has every right to learn from all the prior works of humanity, just like humans do. Now, you cannot copy it. You can not come up with a derivative work that is so close as to be essentially exactly the same. You know, you can't rewrite Harry Potter and call it Joe Potter and have the same storyline, right? It doesn't doesn't work that way. Well, you can. Com- you would just be sued by uh, the owners sued. of the copyright. That's right, as a derivative work. Or, or, uh, but, but you can take certain phrases and copy them and give attribution, right? So that is copyright law today. It says we get to learn all we want, and there's an exclusion in, in copyright law that allows us to learn and allows us to teach. It allows teachers to teach uh, any work in a classroom at any time. It is allowed. Teaching is allowed. Learning is allowed. You cannot then simply rewrite a novel or, 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 or copy entire phrases without attribution. So all of the large language models today have been designed to try to avoid putting out entire phrases, you know, verbatim, without attribution, and try to avoid rewriting the exact novel, the exact phrases, the exact storyline that's there. Um, so you could do something in the style of Ernest Hemingway. By the way, not illegal. I can do something in this style of I just can't take one of his stories and rewrite it and just change the names and have the same story. So all of our AI has rules around it to try to mimic the way humans would use it. Now, if you're an author, Sarah Silverman, and you go, this darn thing learned from my work. I deserve to be paid. Well, I don't know. I went to the library and learned from your work, and... You got paid once from the library. That was it. That's how it works. You, you put out works to learn from. So that's my view. That isn't everyone's view. But my view is when you put a work out there, humans will learn from it. AI will learn from it. No one should copy it verbatim without attribution. And then it has to be very short snippets. But learning is allowed. Otherwise, what does that, why would you put anything out there? AI can't learn from it and humans can't learn from it. So if we treat AI kind of like human learning, I think uh, I think that's where we are. Lastly, I'll say the current our current copyright law 
I'm pretty sure is going to end. That, that is our current copyright law. When the, as this goes to the Supreme Court, and there are a couple of cases heading there, um, I think we're going to find out that even the Supreme Court says, if you want to change this, then you got to change copyright law. That's up to Congress. But the current copyright law says learning is allowed, period, full stop. Learn all you want. And that'll be that. Um, and Congress will never get around to changing copyright law because they, they can barely elect a new leader. Right? So, so I don't think they'll do it. But that, that's my own opinion. We're speaking with Kevin Suras, uh, one of uh, tech's uh, leading innovators, thinkers. He was Entrepreneur of the Year back in 2009, founder, investor, uh, still involved with a lot of startups. Uh, Kevin, I, I want to move ahead after the, uh, the next break to 2024, but in 2023, is it really the year? It was the year where there was a huge furore over the, the firing and then the reinstatement of Sam Altman at OpenAI. Is it ultimately the year of OpenAI, or is it also the year in which other tech companies, Google in particular, got their generative AI acts together? Well, I think that Google is still playing catch-up. Uh, I think Google would probably wouldn't admit that they're playing catch-up, but they're playing catch-up to OpenAI, right? OpenAI surprised the world <clears throat> with a model in GPT-4 that was so good and so large, it's almost unbelievable. Now, here's the problem. They spent billions of dollars. No one knows the exact number, but I don't know if it's one, two, four, seven. Some people say it's seven billion of Azure time, that is Microsoft Cloud time, that was essentially given to them by Microsoft. So nobody. But it was a kind of investment. It was a, a Microsoft gave them the Azure time, and in yes. in in in, uh, in exchange, Microsoft's got certain benefits right. in terms. That's of right. But, but look, if, if someone gave you unlimited cloud time and you could spend $7 billion of it, actually, you and I together might have a pretty darn big model, right? So, so then you get to how many companies have billions of dollars of cloud resources or cloud time that could do this? It's, it's Microsoft. It's OpenAI because of Microsoft, right? It's Google because of Google. It's Facebook because of Facebook. Amazon, Apple. You know, Alibaba, that, that's Tencent maybe. You know, I mean, you start to run out of companies. There's how many people can spend billions of dollars generating a model like this? Not many, not many. So Google, I think, was shocked at how good GPT-4 was. And, and I know they, you know, pulled together quite the large team. Um, some of the people there used to work for me. And, uh, and, and, and they don't intend to lose this. Now, that said, business models are topsy-turvy right now right so if 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 if, if uh, we if google was to replace google search with google bard uh, they'd be bankrupt in a week <laughs> because because they had worked 25 years to get the cost of a search down to you know a hundredth of a cent or whatever it is and 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 um these kinds of queries against the large language model and inference you know can cost a thousand times more than a regular search query does so you have to be careful how you use this. You just bankrupt yourself, right? And, 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 and Microsoft has, has said this, right? They have to use this judiciously and charge appropriately for it. They're putting it in all of Office, so you have it in Excel and you have it in Word and you have it in PowerPoint. But if, if you just use that all the time, you, you know, you'll drive Microsoft to bankruptcy. So you can't do that either. So there has to be some limits and you have to pay for it. And, and so that's what's happening. We're, we, I think 2024 is going to look at a, a resolution of the proper business models around this, and it's not going to all be free because 
you just can't you know you can't get you can't get the profitability in North Korea. Korea. I, i'm spending 20 dollars to get chat gpt4 yep yeah that's right and so am i and they assume that you're going to use that a handful of times a month if you used it you know, a thousand times a day, I, I don't know, they'll shut down your account because you're going well, to... Isn't it? In some ways, history is repeat. Well, in, in some ways, Kevin, history seems to be repeating itself. It was the same old problem with um, uh, uh, the original internet companies, uh, sure. AOL in particular. Sure. Their business model where we got capped for those of us who were on the internet every minute of the day back in the 90s. That's right. Uh, So in one sense, we have the challenge of business models and how many users are going to use it and and whether it makes economic sense. On the other hand, the difference today seems to be, and you touched on this earlier, is Google began in in 97, 98 as a startup, a couple of graduate students at Stanford who essentially appropriated the servers at Stanford to create a search engine. Mm -hmm. Can this be done again by startup people or does it require billions perhaps tens of billions of companies now to do an effective uh ai startup even the ai startups are having to raise billions of dollars they employ very few people and they tend to be made up of not grad students but very wealthy entrepreneurs yeah your your point is a good one look if you're building a foundational model assume it's billions of dollars it's built today now that gets cut in half every 12 to 18 months because of moore's law so that will come down and people are working on training models that are much smaller that still have um, excellent performance. But but today it's billions of dollars. So you see the handful of people are doing, including Elon Musk, they're out, you know, they're going to raise $10 billion. Okay, great. Have at it, right? Um, and Mustafa uh, Suleiman, who, who was yes. on the show, who has his own startup now, who, who had worked for Google. That, that's right. He he's got Pi actually as well, which is this. Uh, yeah, what uh, he's doing with uh, Reed Hoffman. Yes, what he's doing with Reed Hoffman, and and I, I use Pi actually. I like it. I worked on the very first virtual assistants in the mid '90s. That was uh, uh, Portico, MyTalk, Magic Talk. Uh, eventually, General Motors OnStar Virtual Advisor, and and all of that technology got licensed to Apple and Google and everybody else for you know at Apple at Siri, etc. Became the basis of Siri, right? Um, those foundational models that were designed then, which are very different than the ones we're using now, lasted us the better part of 25 years. Today, uh, people are creating brand new models for virtual assistants, and Pi is, is an excellent one. It's, it's done very, very well. Um, but I suspect that field, which I see is getting crowded, uh, could be a challenge as Apple, over the next 12 to 24 months, improves Siri to that level. And it just comes along with your phone, right? And I think this is going to be true uh, with Google Assistant and 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 uh, and Alexa and everything else, right? Oh, those models are all going to improve. So the start's going to be in the lead. The models are going to improve. You're not going to want another app on your phone, and Siri will be so integrated, you'll go, I'm done, right? It's not as good as Pi, but it's close enough. Today, Pi is 18 months ahead of Siri. But well, Pi is designed years. to be uh, so idiomatic, to be a little bit more relaxed, more human than some of the others. I found anyway. I uh, no, I agree with that. No, I <laughs> I, uh, I love the I love the problem. <laughs> so, where is the opportunity, or what what are the companies we haven't heard of, Kevin, in twenty twenty three that we will hear about? Mm. Uh, because back in, if we were doing this show in nineteen ninety seven ninety eight. 
You may not have mentioned Google. Are there startups right. which are for real, which for one reason or other are still under the radar when it comes to AI? Yeah, I'd say most of them are still under the radar. So I'll give you some examples. There are about, about in Silicon Valley, a thousand startups a week, you know, sort of touting AI as their, as their frontline uh, uh, message, right? And, and, and most of these are applying AI to, to some field. And, um, and they're applying generally large language models to a field uh, because that's wide open territory. Now, 999 of those aren't going to make it. It's, if one a week goes big, that'll be, that'll be a huge win in Silicon Valley. So everybody's got to understand, you know, this is going to be a 99.9% fallout. So out of that thousand, you've probably heard of very few. I try to use as many as I can. I mean, there are dozens of, hey, we'll design your slides for you but not in PowerPoint, in their own version, right? There's not one. There are dozens of those. There are dozens of these sort of virtual assistant kinds of things. Some are better than others. Some are targeted. There were also dozens, of, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of startups <clears throat> that were trying to add a little bit of value around a chat GPT using the chat GPT APIs, open APIs. And, and um, they're, they're going to all die because it's going to get back to, can you add a large enough moat with what you're doing? So a lot of these startups that were able to write all their code and get it out in a matter of weeks, well, anyone else can do that too. You have no patents. You have no intellectual property. If you could write it in two weeks, I can pull a team together to write it in two weeks as well. And, and I know some startups that you know wrote their entire thing in a day and a half, and then they went out and got funded at ridiculous valuations. And, and I'm thinking, who thought, who thought that was a good idea? Oh, they're geniuses. They wrote it in a day and a half. No, anyone can write it in a day and a half. And in fact... When OpenAI had some of their announcements, you know, last last month, they just wiped out, I think, thousands of startups that were funded at ridiculous valuations. So there are going to be some gems. There's going to be some golden nuggets. Not as many as you think. We're talking with Kevin Saras, the author. Saras, not Saras. Saras, uh, uh, a futurist, business leader, entrepreneur of the year, um, a decade ago, man who's been in the AI business now for a quarter of a century. Um, we're also in the business of human intelligence. Our supporter is Liberty, is a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Excellent new publication put out by my friend Leon Weaseltier. Uh, in fact, all guests, including Kevin, will get an annual free subscription. I'm going to run a short feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back with Kevin to talk more specifically about what he expects to see in 2024. So don't go away anymore. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Kevin Sarais, the or uh, not the author, the author of the future, uh, a man <laughs> who's given a lot of thought to what has happened in tech and what will happen. We spent the first half of our show talking about 2023. Let's move ahead, Kevin, to 2024. Um, you talked in the first half about uh, generative AI um, being trained on a trillion phrases. One piece I read recently suggested that things will begin to slow down in 2024 because the phrases 
We'll run out of phrases. They may have been trained on a trillion uh, phrases, but there aren't another trillion for them to, to, for it to learn, uh, to speak, interact better. Is there any truth to that? Is there a, a scarcity now of phrases? Will there be one in 2024? You know, one, there could be a scarcity of available phrases to train on, available data to train on. The second thing that may be going on is, is what we're hearing is some of these models that have tried to go beyond that are not seeing substantially better results than they've already got, right? So, so there is a point of diminishing returns. And we're going to have to learn about that and, and learn how to do better through algorithm work, I think, rather than can I train on more phrases or words or whatever it is. Uh, so I think we'll see some, some, some real advancements in algorithms. We're already seeing uh, some of this work to say, can I take this entire uh, uh, technology and put it on a Raspberry Pi, for example? And people are doing that, or certainly on an iPhone or, a, or, or another phone. So, so I think um, that's a fascinating thing. I, I, I think 2024, like all these technologies, you have this big rush and a breakthrough, what appears to be a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough five, six years in the making, right? even within that core technology. And then you have the applied uh, nature of what happens, right? So now we have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of startups applying this technology to various areas. That is going to take several years to work its way through the system so that an enterprise says, this is how I can use this in marketing. This is the additional technology I need around it. This is how I protect my intellectual property. And this is how I'm going to roll this out. And this is how that becomes a multi-billion dollar business. And then go on and on and on, right? Customer support. And at AppVance, one of the companies I'm in, in, in involved in, we're using, uh, we've been using types of generative AI since about 2017 to find bugs in software. Turns out it's a very hard problem to solve. Very hard problem to solve. Uh, but we've been solving it, and our customers find about ten times more bugs than than they would otherwise. Uh, you know, with their old with the teams that were in place. Um, so, so those are the kinds of breakthroughs we're going to see, right? We're applying the core technology, not inventing a brand new foundational model, but applying the foundational models, a variety of them, to a real problem, and that. Just applying it can be millions of lines of code, right? Very, very hard. And we're going to see this, I think, across uh, dozens and dozens of fields. That is exciting because when we apply new technologies like this, that means we're solving real pain points, real problems that people want to pay you for. One of the, the more interesting uh, deals, uh, the, the end of this year, 2023, was a partnership that OpenAI announced with Axel Springer, one of Germany's largest publishers, it's not entirely clear how they're going to work together, whether the LLM, the large language model, will be somehow replaced by a, a narrower one, a small, a small language model. Could this be a feature of 2024, Kevin, where media companies like Axel Springer will do one-off deals with these uh, big AI platforms to build uh, smarter, more reliable platforms, which are also monetizable? Look, these are these are sort of two-way affairs, right? Um, one, um, let's take the Wall Street Journal or New York Times. New York Times has an incredible database of news going back a hundred and something years, right? Incredible database. If I'm OpenAI, I want to learn from that database, and it wasn't easily accessible, you know, on the open web, as you know, it's behind a paywall. But I want to do a deal to access that because I can learn a lot from it. But if I'm the New York Times, I may, and maybe not the New York Times, maybe others, I may 
want to also leverage it, especially if it can learn from my data, to help us write better articles faster. Now, why do you want to do that? Well, because in journalism, as you know, um, the amount that, that Americans are paying for news has continued to go down, and uh, the amount of output has continued to go up, and what we want is high-quality output um, at a lower cost, and that means somehow we've got to make real journalism somehow somehow less expensive, right? Um, I, that doesn't mean I'm in favor of it. I'm just saying that's sort of the way the world's going. And, and, and given that that's what's happening, I can see uh, two sides from this, right? So if, if I'm the New York Times, I would look around and say, how do we make our people more productive? Is there a use of this technology where it doesn't replace great journalism, but it really augments or amplifies our journalists so that our journalists can write maybe 30%, 40%, 50% more stories with maybe even higher accuracy than they were able to do without these technologies. That's a win for everybody, right? It's a win for New York Times, and I'm not saying they're doing that, and it's a win for the foundational model makers who want to learn from all of that that news. But they want to see a lot of partnerships. Yeah, let's use that example. It's a very interesting one. So the New York Times, like Axel Springer, might do a deal. We may see a headline, 2024, 2025, that... The, the Times has jumped into bed, so to speak, with one of these platforms. Um, but they don't want to empower the FT or the Wall, uh, the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. They're, they're its competitors. So how does that exactly work? There are two ways. Uh, one, um, uh, the large language model can learn from all of the information that's there. But one, that every, all of its learning in that case could be cordoned off only for use by the New York Times. Okay, so that's a possibility. Number two, it could be behind the paywall in the same way as the Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now is behind. Yeah. The so, wall. so OpenAI allows that today. So I could use that at a company that I'm involved in, and and have essentially a privatized version that um, anything that I put in is only used for me. Uh, you can't use it anywhere else. You could also have sort of a hybrid where it can improve its language abilities and overall knowledge but never referred directly to sources or source text or any of that right so um uh so there's there's a possibility of a cross or a hybrid there and of course the last but not least is how do i make my people at the new york times more productive than they've already been and um so there's all kinds of uh, uh, uh contracts available and i and i think that are of interest and i think we are absolutely going to see that uh, across the uh, across the new space and and don't forget these large language models we're talking about LLMs but but we also have these graphical models right uh, Midjourney etc. And Midjourney's doing... been particularly um, vulnerable I think to copyright cases we've, we've yes. done so specifically sure. on how Midjourney's being sued. What advice would you give the big media the traditional big media companies the owners of Photography, music, uh, movies, and text, uh, both publishers and, and magazines and newspapers. What advice would you give them? They they were so badly burnt in the first two generations of the internet revolution, particularly Web two. Many of them, I think, are, are, are very very suspicious of what's happening. Well, you should be suspicious, but in the end, copyright law is what it is, right? So again, we go back to learning. Can a mid-journey, stable diffusion, dolly, two, three, or four, whichever one it's going to be, can they learn from your works? Copyright law says they can. They can absolutely learn from your works, period, 
full stop. Um, that is the current law. I mean, I, I, I mean, this will be argued in a court of law, but it, it says that learning is allowed. Uh, and I know people are going to write in and they're going to get mad. I'm just saying that's the, as I read the law and I'm not a lawyer, that's how I read it. So you're going to have to work with Congress to change the law that says AI is a unique case. AI is not uh, to be treated as a human learning. And so it cannot learn from stuff unless it pays for it. Okay, well, that's a different law. That's a different copyright law than we have today. And, um, and that's one thing one can do. Um, the second thing is if you do nothing, you're just going to rely on the courts and I doubt you're going to win. Third of all, you can embrace. So look, if I'm an artist today, well, let me look at it this way. If I'm an artist 10 years from now, it is assumed I am using these tools. So for the last 25 years, at least, it's assumed that every photographer knows Photoshop. Why? Well, you're going to clean up your photo. You're not just going to give me what you did, took you're going to improve the color and improve the depth and improve whatever you're going to improve, right? And maybe get rid of some tree that was in the way, whatever it is. It's what you did. You Photoshopped. It's what we all did, and we've done it. Every model photo has been Photoshopped. Everything you see has been Photoshopped, right? So it's assumed that you are an expert in those tools. I can tell you it is assumed that photographers, uh, illustrators, are not only experts in Photoshop and Illustrator, but they're literally experts in these sorts of generative AI tools, right? So I, as an illustrator, may never start again with a pencil or in Illustrator drawing. I may first start with Midjourney or Dolly or uh, Stable Diffusion and say, generate 15 ideas, let's say, for a logo that looks like this and let it generate a bunch of ideas. Now I may edit them, I may tune them, I'm going to use my experience but every time, certainly in the internet age, in all of the technology age, that artists, people, creators turn away from technology, it doesn't end well because the technology always wins. You know, in the end, we did stream music. We figured out a model to do it, right? It wasn't Napster. It was some other model. But music was going to be streamed. And if you remember at the beginning for a decade, people screamed, we cannot have music on the web. It is not going to work, right? We're going to go broke. Eventually, it took some decades, but we figured out a model where today all the money comes from Spotify, Pandora, and others. That's 92%, I think, in the latest numbers uh, of, of revenue to record companies and artists actually comes from streaming. So once they embraced it and figured out how to monetize it, it actually worked quite, quite well. So I'd say embrace technology, be an expert, show up to your job saying, I can do this all by hand. I'm going to charge you X amount. I can do it with all the tools at my disposal. I'm going to charge you half as much. They go, I'll take that one. <laughs> and then you have twice as much work. That's my recommendation. Kevin, you've been, as I said, you've been in the AI business a while, almost a quarter of a century. What would you like to happen in 2024? Uh, for both, obviously, you're an investor and you're the CTO. You mentioned um, uh, Advance. You, you've got a number of investments and you're, you work in a number of fields like so many uh, innovators. Uh, but what big problem in AI, technological or perhaps business problem, would you like to see at least begin to be addressed in 2024? Well, one problem is our large language models don't do math at all, and people expect them to. You literally can get it to say 2 plus 2 equals 5 under certain circumstances. That's not, use, that's not useful, right? Most of these large language models are very useful. That's not particularly useful. And I think we've got to fix the math problem. And there, there are some great... Um, um, 
technology papers that I've seen that suggest that uh, uh, we're making some strides in that. And I think that's going to be important. We need it to be accurate in math or just say I'm not accurate. We also need it, <clears throat> need these technologies to stop hallucinating, except I have a whole rant about this. They're not actually hallucinating. They just learned from a variety of fact, uh, factual and fictional sources. And, and because of that, they get confused as to which one is which because nobody told them. So they're, therefore, if you ask it who shot George Washington, it says William Tryon shot George Washington, which he did in a novel. He just didn't in real life. But it doesn't know the difference between real life and a novel because it doesn't know what real life is. It just reads phrases, right, and puts them together, uh, puts words, you know, words together into phrases. So it, it would be great if, if, if we can improve that. Again, lots of people working on that. I would not expect any kind of breakthrough performance since we are training these in what we call unsupervised fashion. We're not telling it what is fiction and what is fact. We're just saying, go learn. Go learn phrases. Turns out it's really good at building phrases. It's not necessarily always good about building accurate phrases. And last but not least, I'd say for people to realize you don't need to be scared. There's nothing scary about this technology. It's not going to take your job. It's going to take your job if you don't use it. And it'll give it to someone who is using this technology. So become the master of these technologies. Find out how you can improve your own uh, productivity and how you can amplify, as Reid Hoffman has said in his book, how you can amplify uh, your intelligence with this. Because now you can be 10 or 100 brains instead of one brain. And uh, wow, that is it's the best time to be alive if that's the case. So I, I think it is the best time to be alive. Very optimistic, Kevin. Finally, uh, we're at the time of the year where everyone imagines a better world. Uh, 2023 will also be remembered as the year of the Ukraine war and then of the, the war in Gaza and the, the Hamas-Israeli uh, war on, on, mm -hmm. on a number of different fronts. Mm -hmm. uh, outside tech, what big problem in the world would you could close your eyes and the snap of a finger what big problem would you like ai to solve you know um uh that's that 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 is a great question because i'm not sure ai can solve our biggest problems i know that's not answering the question but you know the problems of war okay what year is this we're killing people for I don't want to say for no reason, but people are killing people. Stop doing that. That, that. that is a bad thing. It's always been bad. It's extremely bad. We're all smart enough to, to, to know that we should not be doing that. And we need to sit down and figure out how we all get together. And we shouldn't cross borders and kill people. This is a very bad thing. That's Russia. That, that's Hamas. That's everything. And, and so it's terrible. War is really bad. I don't think AI is going to solve that um, for us. Uh, I, I do think that uh, the impact AI is going to have is we're, we're going to look at those 8 to 10 million open jobs in the U.S., and we're going to be able to close the gap on some of those by making our own teams more productive. Because the one problem we do have, at least in the U.S., is, uh, uh, is the reduction in the birth rate for about 30 or 40 years. So that has led to more people retiring now that are coming into the workforce. That's a macro problem, right? We can't fix that. We can't fix that. But AI can fix it by making all of us 10 or 20 or 30 percent more productive so we can continue to grow our companies but not need to double the number of employees to grow it. That's a, a grand vision for AI. And I think that that's a place that AI is going to help us. And, you know, some tasks are going to be now done by AI, but that's OK. There is plenty of work to do to grow all of our companies. So um, so that's my uh, encouragement for the future with AI.